Shalom Aleichem, and welcome back to Sefer Maccabim. Now, we mentioned in chapter 1 that because the Greek tyranny in Yerushalayim became so unbearable, virtually all the Jewish residents fled the city and took refuge in other nearby towns and villages. Among these Yerushalmi refugees was a Kohen named Matityahu ben Yochanan, the son of the last legitimate Kohen Gadol, and his five sons, who in descending age order are named Yochanan Hakachi, Shimon Hatasi, Yehuda HaMakabi, Alazar HaKharni, and Yonatan HaAfsi. They live in a village named Madi'in, located at the edge of the Sharon Plain in the foot of the Judean hills, roughly 15 miles northwest of Yerushalayim. By virtue of being a Kohen, Matichahu used to spend a lot of time in Yerushalayim, serving in the base of Mikdash. But now he is forced to return to Madi'in and live there full-time with his family. Matichahu is the elder of the village, a highly respected man among his fellow Jews and he feels dreadfully the afflictions of his people. The text describes how he cries out in anguished mourning. Woe is me! For what reason was I born to see this misery of my people and of the holy city and to dwell there when it was delivered into the hand of the enemy and the sanctuary into the hands of strangers? Matajahu and his sons tear their clothes and don sackcloth and they mourn greatly, but they won't remain like this for long. Remember how we also mentioned in chapter 1 that the Greeks were circulating the whole of Judea to enforce their policy of mass Hellenization, and even the smallest hamlet in Judea was not safe from them? Well, Madian was no exception. Before we learn how the Greeks arrived in Madian and were confronted by Matajahu, we have to tell over a story which is not related in the book of Maccabees itself, that has been passed down as part of our tradition. The five sons of Matityahu had a sister named Miriam, or according to one version of the story, she was their sister-in-law to be by virtue of being engaged to Elazar. In any case, she was getting married. And you'll remember that as part of their decrees, the Greeks enforced the Prima Nocta laws, which gave the local Greek general first rights to the Judean bride before being intimate with her husband. The nation had slowly become used to the decrees, and the rabbis of the time were more focused on finding halachic justification for the marriages, rather than attacking the root of the problem, which would have meant open war on one of the most powerful empires of all time. At her wedding feast, Miriam gets up and begins to strip down in public, much to the anger of the Hashmanai family. Miriam then scolds them, saying, Instead of directing your anger at me, attack the root of the problem! The Greek occupation that implements these laws. The brothers stop and realise, yep, she's right, and immediately set about preparing for the armed struggle against Seleucid rule. So we see another example of the famous teaching, each generation is redeemed on account of its righteous woman, from Gemara Sota 11b. And when the Greeks arrive in Madiyin, Matijaho and his sons are ready. One fine day, in the year 3622, Two years since the start of the reign of terror, the Greek officials enter Modiyin intent on either Hellenizing the population or slaughtering them. The townsfolk gather in the square rather tentatively, Matajahu and his sons among them. The Greek officials address Matajahu, the elder of the town, thinking that if he can be convinced to come over to them, the rest of the townsfolk will surely follow. They say to him something along the lines of, you're the elder of this town, you're the most respected among all your brethren. Now come forward and sacrifice this pig to the Olympian gods. And not only will you and your household receive the friendship of the king, 
but we will reward you with silver, gold, and many other riches. Then Matichahu raises his voice and proclaims, Though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him, and each one from the religion of their fathers will stray to obey his commandments, yet I and my sons and my brethren shall not stray left or right from the laws of our fathers. God forbid we should forsake the law and violate our covenant. We will not obey the king's words, and we shall not exchange our laws for his. It's truly an epic speech. But no sooner has Matajahu finished speaking, when there comes forward from the crowd a Hellenized Jew who is willing to commit this unspeakable act and sacrifice the pig to the Olympian gods. Matichahu is inflamed, filled with zeal, and following in the footsteps of Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon, who slew Zimri and Cosby with a single thrust of a spear, Matichahu runs forward and kills the Hellenized Jew before he can commit this heinous act. Then he turns to the Greek official running the show and kills him too. Matichahu turns to the rest of the crowd, the assembled Jews of Modiyin, who are surely looking on in shock, and he cries out in a loud voice, those men who are zealous of the law and upholds his covenants, follow me. It's a line that echoes back to Moshe Rabbeinu when he descended Harsinai and found his people worshipping the golden calf. As we all know, Moshe smashes the luchus, grinds the calf into powder and calls out, Mila Hashem Eli, all those who are for Hashem, to me. Although Nevoah ceased more than 200 years before this, Matijahu is echoing the greatest Navi B'nai Israel ever had. At this point, he, his five sons, and a small number of followers leave Madian behind and flee eastward into the mountains, for they are certain the Greeks will return and wipe out their village in retaliation. Such an uprising among these Jews cannot be tolerated. Here in the Gothna Hills, located a little southwest of Yerushalayim, they begin to organize themselves into a fighting force a guerrilla army that will challenge the mighty Greek empire and attempt to drive them from Judea. It's not long before news reaches them of resistance happening elsewhere in the country, but not the same kind of resistance. You may remember, at the end of chapter 1, we briefly mentioned that some Jews opted for the path of passive resistance by ignoring the Greek decrees and carrying on observing mitzvahs in secret. Many of these passive resistive Jews flee south into the Negev and they hide away in caves where they continue to remain loyal to Torah and practice the mitzvahs. But news of this filters back to the Greek officials in Yerushalayim, who march into the Negev and find them, and they deliberately choose to corner these Jews on Shabbat. They tell them, come over to us and accept the decrees of the king, Antiochus, abandon your Torah and allow yourselves to be Hellenized, and we will let you live. But they reply saying, we will not go over to your culture and we will not break Shabbat, which you'll remember was one of the first mitzvahs Antiochus banned. Furthermore, we will not even raise a hand to fight against you. We will die as holy martyrs, and heaven and earth will testify for us that you put us to death unjustly. At which point, the Greek mercenaries proceed to massacre them all. Around a thousand people in total are killed. When Matajahu and his sons hear about this massacre, they mourn for them deeply. And they say to each other, We cannot act like our brethren who refuse to fight on Shabbat, for the Greeks will kill us as easily as they killed them. Rather, we will fight without restraint anyone who comes to battle against us on Shabbat, for the sanctity of life is greater than the sanctity of Shabbat. By this time, word of the uprising in Modi'in has spread throughout Judea, and the text tells us what happened next. Then came unto him many of the Chassidim among B'nai Israel who feared Hashem in their hearts. Also, all that they fled for persecution joined themselves unto them, and they strengthened them. So they joined their forces and smote sinful men in their anger, and wicked men in their wrath. 
more and more Jews are flocking to the hills to join Matichahu and his army. Some because they are simply fleeing Greek persecution and have nowhere else to go, and some because they want to actively fight the Greeks. Among this latter group were a group of Jews known as the Hasidim. Who were these Hasidim? To answer this question, we first have to realize that at the time of the Maccabean revolt, Bnei Israel were, as is all too often the case, splintered into different factions, which we did briefly mention in the previous episode. One faction we have is the Mityavnim, the Hellenists, whom we have already mentioned, who want to assimilate into the Greek culture and drop all vestiges of Judaism. Then you have the Maccabim, comprised of Matajahu's household and his core followers, who believe they have a sacred obligation to free Eretz Israel from any foreign ruler, in this case the Greeks, and are therefore determined to battle the Greeks until they either win or die. The word Maccabee, by the way, is Greek for hammer, or alternatively can be read as an acronym for the Hebrew words Hashem, who is like you among the mighty ones, Hashem. But another faction you have are the Hasidim, Jews whose primary goal is to live a life dedicated to Hashem and to be Shema Torah and Mitzvahs. They comprise the majority of the Maccabean forces. Now, 200 years later, during the Great Revolt against Rome, these divisions are paralleled by the different factions within Bnei Israel. The Tzidokim, who disregard the Torah Shabbat and want to cozy up to the Romans. The Kenaim, the Zealots, who, like the Maccabim, believe there is a Chiyav Doraita to expel the Romans from Eretz Israel. And the Perishim, the mainstream rabbis loyal to Torah, who want to be free from Roman rule, but are not sure if the obligation to fight the foreign ruler always applies. Returning to the Maccabean revolt, these Hasidim see that the Greek decrees are preventing them from keeping the Torah, and that Matichahu and his followers are going to fight the Greeks. And they see, amazing, they're going to force the Greeks to repeal the Hellenist decrees and allow us to keep the Torah without fear. So they join Matajahu's army. Note that the motives of the two factions are not the same. The Maccabim believe they have a sacred obligation to free Eretz Israel from foreign rule, whereas the primary goal of the Hasidim is to be free to learn Torah. And this difference is later going to cause problems. But for now, the Maccabim and the Hasidim are united as one army with one goal, to fight the Greek occupation and anyone who assists it. The army's ranks have swelled, though you must remember they are a small army, estimated at no more than 12,000 men. After all, the Maccabees are one of the best and most famous examples of Misarta Rabbim Biyad Ma'atim, you delivered the many into the hands of the few, as we say during al Hanisim in the Shemana Esrei in Hanukkah. This guerrilla army are not only fighting the Greeks, they are fighting Greek influence, and they begin circulating Judea, pulling down all the pagan altars erected by the Greeks, and whenever they found a Jewish boy without a bris mila, they give him one straight away. Whenever they find a sinner, Greek or Jew, they put him to death immediately. They truly become an epic fighting force. Now you have to remember that the Maccabean headquarters was in the mountains, the reasons for which will be discussed in the next episode. And you also have to remember that Matityahu is already an old man at this point. It's not easy for him to go around the country as part of a band of warriors, and this difficult existence takes its toll on him. In fact, not even a year has passed since the start of the revolt, when Matityahu gathers his sons around him and informs them that his time is nearly up, he will soon die. The last 20 or so verses in chapter 2 consist of Matityahu's last words to his five sons. We won't go over every single thing he says here, but this is the essence of what he tells them. My sons, 
Be zealous to guard the Torah and be ready to lay down your lives for God's law. For none who put their trust in him are overcome. Remember how Abraham, our forefather, remained loyal to Hashem and was remembered for everlasting righteousness. Remember how Yosef kept the Torah while imprisoned in Egypt and was eventually made ruler of the country. Remember how Hananiah, Mishael and Nazariah were saved from the fires of Nebuchadnezzar because they had Amunah in Hashem. Fear only Hashem and have no fear of the enemy. For although today he may be raised up, tomorrow he shall be dung and worms. Listen to your brother Shimon Hatasi, for he is a wise man and he will give you good counsel and advice. Let your brother Yehuda be your captain and fight the battle of the people. Avenge the wrong done to us and guard the mitzvah of Hashem with all your heart. And once he has finished blessing and instructing his sons, Matthew Jehovah Yochanan is Niftar. His sons carry his body back to Madi'in and bury him in their family's crypt with his father and his father's father. And his sons, his army, and all the God-fearing Jews among B'nai Israel cry greatly over the loss of this great leader. This brings us to the end of chapter 2. We'll proceed next time when Yehudet will step up to fill the vacuum of leadership left by his father and take charge of the Jewish rebel army.